So we are continuing in our growing series. And we have used 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 and 15 as, a, as, as the, the picture and, 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 and the, the passage for helping us to see the church grow healthier. And over the course of the last few weeks, we've talked about how it's so important for our good health in the church to grow in humility and to grow in prayer. And last Sunday, we talked about growing to seek God's face. And today, we're going to close out verse 14 and look at the, the, the fourth part of this passage of Scripture and, and that is growing in repentance. That's the name of today's message when this passage speaks of, of, of turning from our wicked ways. And so let's take a look at Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. If you would, would you read this along with me as, uh, as we look at this passage of Scripture? If my people, come on, read it with me, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. The word of the Lord for us today. And so, this is the passage of Scripture that we've been looking at for the past few weeks, maybe the, the last month, because this passage speaks of, of, of what Jesus' desire is for the church. If my people would do this. And, and, and I believe that that's the heart of where we want to live, to do what Jesus, or to do what, what God calls us to do. If my people would do this. God, God's desire is for us to do this. And we get to this place where, where God is saying, if, if they would turn from their wicked ways. Now, what I want to do is, I have not gotten a chance to do this yet, so I'm going to take today's sermon to put this passage in the context so that we understand the context and we can use that context to look at the lesson that we have today. So we're going to look at what happens before this passage and a little bit of what happens afterwards so we know what we're talking about, what's happening around this passage of Scripture. So in Second Chronicles chapter 7, um, what's happening right before this context, this, this passage of Scripture is that um, so- Solomon is dedicating the temple that he had built to God. Okay, So Solomon had become king. And when he became king, he got the opportunity to do something that his father, King David, could not do because the Lord said, you're not going to do this. And that was to build the temple. David had too much blood on his hands in the wars that he fought. And God said, you're not going to build the temple. Your son will. And so when Solomon comes to power and Solomon becomes king, he's given the opportunity to build God's temple. And so he takes it to task. After he became king, it took him seven years to build the temple of God. Okay? And, and when he uh, took the seven years to build the temple of God, you can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 5 through 7. We're not going to take time to do that, but it's, it's, a, it's a great read to understand what the context is going on at this time. Now, Chronicles... Is, is, is kind of like a summary of all of the things that took place during that time. And it kind of fills in the gaps. And so, we know that in Second Chronicles, the temple is already built. And in chapter 6, the, path, the, the chapter that comes before ours, what 
Solomon's doing here is he's praying a prayer of dedication for this newly built temple. Now, when Solomon goes about to build a temple for God, there's a question in Solomon's mind and in his heart whether or not God would inhabit the temple, right? This temple that he's spent seven years to build, if, if it's not what God wants for his people, what if God chooses not to come into the temple? Then all of that is for nothing. And so Solomon prays this long prayer in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And in that prayer, it's, it's a prayer of deep humility. It's, it's a prayer of acknowledging who God is. And it is a prayer of repentance for the people. And as Solomon begins that prayer, I want to share a portion of that prayer to you. I, as I read this, I think that there is some doubt in Solomon's mind whether or not God would actually come into this temple and inhabit the, the, the temple. In Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 18, Solomon prays, But will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Solomon's like, God, this is just a temple, and you're in heaven. Why would you even come down here and be with us, sinful people, right? Why would God want to do that? So Solomon's praying, and, and there's a bit of doubt, but Solomon digs deep because his desire is for God to dwell in this temple, for God's presence to be close by, so that God will hear the prayers of his people. And so, verse 19, the next verse, Solomon continues in his prayer. Yet, Lord, my God, give attention to your servant's prayer. His plea for mercy. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open towards this temple. Day and night, this place of which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer your people, your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and of your people, Israel, when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, when you hear, forgive. That's his plea. When you hear us, oh, for. Forgive us. This is Solomon's prayer. This is a part of Solomon's prayer. It's, it's a prayer with the heart of repentance. Lord, hear my prayer. Forgive us. We're, when, when we've gone astray, lead us home. When, when, he, when we have sinned, forgive us. The heart of Solomon is for God to be near to his people and to deepen this relationship that God has with his people. Now, the good news for Solomon is God heard his prayer, right? God answers his prayer. So we, 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 you can read the rest of the prayer in Second Chronicles chapter 6, but here's the answer. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me and read along. I put it up here for you to make it easier. But I'm kind of thinking that I'm not going to put passages of Scripture up anymore so you bring your Bibles to church. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> So here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, this is God's answer. 
when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when the Israelites saw fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good, His love endures forever. Church, would you say that with me? He is good. Oh, what a great response to what God is doing in the life of His church. He is good. His love endures forever. And after Solomon prayed and God moved, God's power, God's glory, God's presence entered the temple. And Solomon's prayer was answered. Israel found favor with God. And you know what happened in that day, that moment? They were justified. Their relationship with God was made right because of God's presence there with them. That's important for our relationship with God to be made right with Him. And God entered the temple and was attentive to the prayers of His people. So that's what happens before our scripture in verses uh, 14 and 15. So we know we already read that. But I want to share what happens afterwards too. Because that's important when we talk about context. So what happens afterwards is we read right here in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 19 and 20, a warning that God gives to Solomon. And this is the warning. He says this, But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and the commands I have given you, and go off and serve other gods and worship them, that I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them, and will reject this temple that I have consecrated for my name. Wow, pretty severe warning, huh? After seven years of building all this, Solomon realizes that without the presence of God, we're nothing. And so he pleads and he prays with a heart of repentance for God's presence to fill the temple. And God does with fire and power. And God comes in and enters the place and answers Solomon's prayer. He reconciles his relationship with his people. But he also gives them this warning. Don't stray. Don't don't go and follow other gods. Because if you do, I will remove you from this land. And this temple that you built will mean absolutely nothing. So here's the context that I want you guys to understand. Here is is what's so important. For God, the most important thing is the holy relationship that he has with his people. That, above all things, is more important even than the temple that Solomon built for God to be in. God desires that his relationship with his people be a a holy relationship. He reminds them of the covenant relationship that God began with Abraham, where he says, you will be my people and you will have my name. And that's so important to remember. 
You see, Solomon's prayer of repentance opened the way for God to, to share his mercy and to offer forgiveness for his people. And that is what made right the relationship with, with Israel and with God. They were justified that way. And the relationship that he had with them was the continuation of God's desire for the holy relationship that he has with his people. Church, I want you to know that this desire that God has with with the people of Israel is the exact same desire God had when he created the earth and the relationship that he desired to have with Adam and Eve. A holy relationship set apart for he and his people. But you know the story of Adam and Eve, right? And you know exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. And, and, and we know that that covenant relationship, that, that personal holy relationship was broken when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. When Adam and Eve chose not to follow God's decree and, and, and instead rebelled against God. And because of that sin, what did God do? He removed Adam and Eve from the garden. Just as God said, if you go and follow other gods and worship them, I will remove you from this land that I have given you. God desires more than anything a holy relationship with his people. And reminds them of that covenant relationship. Because in the Old Testament, God's covenant relationship came to his people, the Jews. But in the New Testament, and in, in today, that covenant relationship is with the church. And when I say church, you know that I'm not talking about the building, right? I'm talking about the people. The church is the ecclesia, the called out ones. The church is you, me. We are the church. And God desires that covenant relationship be with us here today. Right? And when we talk about a covenant relationship, right? We often think of our earthly covenant relationships. And and the one that comes closest to mind is, is the covenant relationship of marriage. And that relationship is the closest relationship two people can have on earth, where the very things that God desires in the relationship with him are found in that covenant relationship between a husband and wife, where there is deep love for one another and an intimacy that you don't share with other people. In that covenant relationship is a faithfulness for the rest of your life. For as long as you both shall live. And, and, and a, a deep sense of communication that goes on beyond you, how you would communicate with anyone else. In that covenant relationship that you share with your spouse, that I share with Rochelle, it's a relationship that I don't have with anyone else on this earth. For good reason. Because we made a covenant to one another. And God, in his covenant relationship with his people, wants the same thing. 
a deep abiding relationship that is intimate, that is not shared with anyone else. And when people say, why does God care so much? And it sounds so petty that he's a jealous God. I say, well, have you been married? (laughs) If you've been married and, and your spouse shows any affection in any amount for anyone else, it's damage. It, affect, it would affect you. And that's the same kind of covenant relationship that God desires. Along with that is, is unquestioned faithfulness. And then, as Solomon prayed, a communication that, that is only had between intimate people. That God would hear the prayers of his people in that way. But in our covenant relationship with God, it is, it is not the kind of relationship that we would have between a husband and wife. It's, it's the kind of relationship where we would have between a heavenly father and his children. That's the covenant relationship that, that God has with us. We are his sons and daughters. And, and just like anyone who's ever had a child, what do you give your child that is a part of who you are. You give them your name. And that is what God has said that he has given. If my people, who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God is recalling this covenant relationship as a heavenly father is to his children. And the beauty of all of this, <laughs> that we are God's children, his sons and his daughters. And Jesus affirms this relationship in John chapter 1, verse 12, when he says, Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so the beauty of that passage is that God extends this covenant relationship beyond the house of Israel, into your life and mine. We are God's children. And God desires that close and holy relationship with us because we are His. He calls us His own. Just like any parent would desire a close and abiding relationship with their children, as a parent, I long for that. And if you're a parent, you do the same, regardless of whether your children are little like Mariana or if they're young adults like my children. But when we look at family relationships, you know what we often find? That the relationships aren't as close, maybe, as we would want it to be sometimes. Right? Amen? Are you with me? Sometimes family relationships aren't the way we would want them to be. Can I tell you that in the family of God, that's the same way? That sometimes the relationship God desires with us is not exactly what happens with us. And so, I'll tell you a story about my growing up and and, and how this all kind of fits together. In my family, the family where I grew up, where I was my parents' child, and I have 
three other siblings that are older than me. I'm the, the fourth one uh, in the line. Um, there, when I grew up in my, in my family, there were times when our family was very close together, I should remember, but there were times when my family was just broken and separated. You can, you can uh, probably understand that because maybe you've experienced something that's similar. And as a child, there were times in my life when my parents were so proud of me and there were times in my life where I broke my mom's heart. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you about one of those stories. When I was about five years old, I, did, I said something to my mom that, oh, it was terrible. I shouldn't have said it. And since all the kids are gone from the church, right? Like the kids are in Sunday school. I'll tell you what I said. It wasn't my, my best moment. It was a time in my life when, when um, my vocabulary was growing. And so was my rebelliousness. And in my rebelliousness, I called my mom. I said that I called my mom stupid. Ugh, I, I can't believe I did it back then, right? And, um, and oh, my mom was upset. Obviously, if any parent would be upset if their if their child called them them stupid, and so um, <laughs> I, I regret that for three reasons. And I'll tell you what they are. The first reason I, I regret calling my mom stupid is because she's not stupid. That's number one. Number two, I regret calling her stupid um, because I love my mom. And the third reason I regret calling my mom stupid is because in our family, she was the disciplinarian. And I, I, regret, <laughs> I regret that so much. Um, that was the only one and only time that I did call her stupid. Um, <laughs> because after I did, I'll tell you what she did. She turned around and she walked right into the kitchen. And she grabbed a cleaver. You know what a cleaver is, right? It's the big knife, the big one. She grabbed the cleaver, turned around, walked right toward me. She raised it up, and I screamed like, ah! And then she handed it to me. And I took it from her, and she says, go in the backyard, chop down your own stick that I will destroy you with. <laughs> she didn't say those words. But she said, go and chop down your own stick that I'm going to spank you with. And I was like, oh my. And so I had seen her do this to my older siblings because they were rotten. I just want you to know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is... So I go in the backyard and I chop down my stick and I, t I bring it to her. And I get a good whipping as a child. And that's when I learned that um, my mom's not stupid. I am. <laughs> Because along with the physical, you know, um, punishment that I had, chopping down your own stick for your own punishment is, is mental abuse. I mean, it's just, it just messes with your mind that you've got to chop down your own stick to, 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 to whack yourself with. And, um, and then I realized that after deep reflection, my mom's not as dumb as I said that she was, you know, she... She, she knew what she was doing, and, and I never called my mom stupid again. <laughs> and after my punishment, my mom sat me down, and she explained to me why what I said was unacceptable. Hmm? And, I, and I already knew that I shouldn't have done it, right? It was that rebellious nature, that sinful nature, that nature that sometimes 
we feel like we can't control without the help of God. And then when she explained it to me, and I understood it, she expressed her deep love for me again. And, and because of that, I apologized to my mom. And my mom forgave me. And, and I look back on this, this time in my life and what took place. And I'll tell you, this is long before I ever stepped foot in, in the doors of the church. But repentance was happening here. Because the repentance is the turning of your heart away from the sin that you were doing towards love. That's what repentance is. And I never did that again. So my heart was, was really turned. And the reason why I, I didn't ever call my mom stupid again wasn't because I was afraid of her. My mom's five feet tall. <laughs> but when she comes after you with a cleaver, you should be afraid. <laughs> my mom's just five feet tall. She, I'm not afraid of her. But I love her. I, I love my mom. And because I love my mom, I don't want to hurt her. In fact, I want the relationship with my mom to grow stronger every single day, if possible. And I know that if I call her stupid, that's working against what I really want. See, that's the heart of repentance. It's not doing what I want to do. It's doing what I know takes me from what breaks the relationship to what makes it stronger. And when we look at what God is calling from us in our passage of Scripture, when he calls us to turn from our wicked ways, it is in this context that we look at our passage of Scripture today. This is the relationship that God desires to have with us. God knows that we are Sinners, that we all fall short of the glory of God. But what God desires most of all is that, that we become faithful to Him. And the relationship that we have with Him and Him alone. That's why He told Solomon, don't go chasing after other gods or worshiping them. And so to have a heart of repentance means, or to have a heart of repentance is so important because every relationship needs repentance. Because repentance is what restores relationships. It makes things right. And the confession that I messed up and that I was wrong made it possible for my mom to forgive me. It's the same thing that God requires of us. And then to turn away from what we were doing not because of fear, but because of love. And that's the heart of what God is calling his people to in this Second Chronicles chapter 7 passage. When he calls us to turn from our wicked ways, it's not because he wants to punish us, but he wants more than anything for our relationship with him to enter the divine and the holy that's the context of this passage of Scripture. The deep expression of our love for God. Because God calls us His own. And He's given us His name. 
and for God to draw near to his people, to fill the temple with his presence. Now, that temple that Solomon built, long gone. Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed it. They rebuilt the temple again, and it got destroyed again. But God has extended this covenant relationship beyond the Jews. And now, the temple of God resides within each of us. Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in your midst. Wow. (laughs) Church, our holy relationship with God makes room for God's very presence to dwell within us. And this is the context that we live in today. And so God's call for us is to grow in humility, to grow in prayer, to grow in seeking God's face, and to grow in this very thing that we're talking about, in repentance, because I'm not perfect. And if I'm going to have a holy relationship with God, I'm going to need to fall down before Him, confess my sins, and in love, repent, to turn from my wicked ways, so that my relationship with God can remain holy. And this church, this is what ensures that God's presence will continue to fill the temple, to fill you and me, and that he will be attentive to our prayers. So, as we close today, the good news is that the temple of God still exists in us. Isn't that exciting to know? And when we are faithful to continue in this holy relationship that God desires from us, that the very thing that Solomon prayed would happen in us, that God's presence would fill the temple, that God would be attentive to the prayers that are offered in that temple. And so today, as we close, what I'd like to do is I'm going to put that passage of scripture up from 2 Chronicles chapter 6. This is Solomon's prayer that God would inhabit the temple that he built. May this be our prayer. And the context has changed from a temple that's built to maybe your own heart, to you being the temple. And so you can change this to to fit your context. But would you join me in praying this prayer, this prayer of repentance, so that we can be people who are growing and continuing to experience the presence of God in this place. Would you stand with me? And more than just saying the words, take a moment, just a short moment, to get your hearts prepared. To mean every single word of what you see here. To mean it and to make it your prayer. Let's pray together. Yet, Lord, my God, let's pray together. Give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. 
May your eyes be open towards this temple day and night. This place of which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, Lord, when you hear, forgive. Forgive us, Lord. I'm going to close by singing this great song, How Great Thou Art. Because God truly is great. Amen. Would you turn your attention to the Lord today? Give Him your praise. Establish, reestablish the covenant relationship that God desires to have with His holy people. And prepare the temple of the Lord so that God can dwell.